Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey you guys, what's going on? I'm really excited about this episode. I'm J.O.D. and this is Off Real Podcast. And with no further ado, I'll go ahead and lead in with a, uh, a lengthy intro. Wow. And if you remember, around 2010, there was a sort of an explosion in uh, Fort Worth, Dallas suburbs. And a lot of bands came out. A lot of bands ended up going on to major label deals. And this guy that I have with me, had a top 200, some top 200 albums as well as some top 40 singles and worked with some of the bands that I promised to find your youth. So with no further ado, let me introduce Jeff Rockwell and let's get on with the interview. How you doing, bro? Hello. I'm doing good, man. I'm good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming all the way up to man, the Fort Worth. You have no idea how excited I am to uh, have you a huge fan of your work and what you've done. And uh, I guess, you. you know, let's kind of just start with you. Kind of what was, uh, tell me about your upbringing. Oh. Um, I I was born in Kansas. I'm not a native Texan. Okay. So, strike one. Yeah, we'll but, spin uh, around to that for sure. <laughs> but um, my family moved down here uh, from Kansas in the mid-80s. Uh, my dad was a factory worker in the aerospace industry. And so uh, he moved down here to work for LTV and build the stealth bomber. But um, wow, we didn't know that, of course, at the time. You kind of can't tell anybody that. For, okay, so for he did have to keep that secret. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he couldn't tell anybody. And... <laughs> Nobody who worked on that project. I mean, that's a top secret wow. deal. There probably were sections of that project who didn't know what the other one the was other. doing. You know what I mean? It, it was it was probably one of those things. But um, that's what moved us down here, and um, and so I was probably I was I was about five six years old. No, four or five, four or five when we moved down. And so I grew up here, and um, um, we kind of settled in Arlington. So I've been living in Arlington for a while, and um, went. I went to college back in Kansas. Uh, graduated in Jayhawk. Yeah, Kansas Rock Jayhawks. Chalk Jayhawks. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, I actually so, remember when uh, during the Final Four, I see you come alive. Yeah. Or during the tournament, yeah, usually. Game. It's just um, there's nothing better than the NCAA tournament, and so that's I just developed a love for the game back then, and and um, met my wife in school, so we're both kind of basketball nuts. We usually drive to Waco to watch. Katie Baylor, that's kind of a, almost a yearly thing for us. That's and awesome. So um, it'll be a good game this year. Should be, should yeah. be great. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, they play in Lawrence first. Okay. Here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. And then in February, we're thinking about doing it, doing it again. But yeah, and so, um, but when I was in school out there, I kind of had one of those moments where it was, um, do I really want to be doing, you know, this? I, I was, uh, I was studying film at the time, and. Um, 
because that's kind of that's kind of what I thought I wanted to do, you know. And um, you're making all these kind of decisions when you're 18 and 19, and it's like you got no business really making these decisions. But that's that's life. Like, it's not fair. And so, um, um, but I kind of had one of these moments where it was just like, do I really want to keep doing this? And what's the point if not? And so um, I can never really shake the music thing. I I, I played around here when when um, I was in high school. I played around in college. Um, pretty much anybody who like find and so then I, I would I would go to shows and I would always be doing something music related while I was up there and it was like it would be neat if I could work this out you know and um, so things uh, things kind of started in motion that way and I um, I was able to work at a deal with a friend of mine whose dad had some extra office space and we had some recording equipment from our band and I decided that I was gonna uh, transfer back down here, and we were going to start a studio in the back of his dad's office and just do demos for bands. This was in Arlington. This was actually in. This was in Fort Worth, actually. Okay. It, it, was, it was in super, super East Fort Worth, off of Sun Valley and A twenty. Oh, um, nice. It was called New Hope Studios, and that's what birthed a lot of like those bands that came out of there, like um, um, the February Heartache, which became Artist First Poet, and 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 the flip side, which became Forever the Six Kids, wow. and, and all of those bands were birthed from that. From that area, right? Um, that studio, we um, did all their initial recordings out of that place eventually. But that's where I kind of got started and cut my teeth. And so I, I, I changed my major, started studying music to kind of buy myself some time in my junior year. So I was super, super far behind, you know. And um, I, but I just kind of immersed myself in the whole world. Um, worked hard at school to catch up while doing demos on the side to make extra money and just to kind of, you know. Just to get good at it, you, you know. I mean, you got to make a lot of bad recordings first before you kind of figure out, you, you know, what what the deal was. So, I mean, we were charging. I was basically making fifty dollars a song for yeah. for doing that back then, and that was, you know, that was cool with me. I, I mean, I had enough money to kind of live at home, and then you know, you know, take my girlfriend out here or there, and it, it was it was a good job that I didn't have to sacrifice time practicing. I I, I could just immerse myself in like music, and so mm-hmm. that was. That was a really good situation. For and you were already getting a taste of, um, I guess, doing what you love, and you you got to yeah. feel that. Yeah, yeah, and that's right away, and so that was cool. And um, but even when when it came time for me to graduate, I graduated in, in December of '04, so only a semester late after changing my major my junior year. I'm super proud of that. Yeah, that's I would good. do summers and winters and all kinds <laughs> of stuff to try to catch up. Mini semesters. I mean, yeah. yeah. Summers were the worst. Those were just the worst classes. But um, um, when it came time to graduate, it was like, well, um, I have two months worth of worth of demos here that that could pay my my bills. I might as well just kind of keep doing it because I really wasn't sure. I was like, all right, do I really want to keep doing this or like, what's the future look like? And I didn't really know. But I knew that I had two months of bills paid, so I might as well just kind of keep going. And then I just, you, you know. You know, I just kept going and going and going and going. Then eventually got some breaks, and it was like, okay, this will work. This, you know, this is what I do now. All right. Well, you 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 segue perfect. Okay, so you're just doing demos for um, kind of local bands, right? At this yes. point, yes. Uh, and this is for probably the better part from 2005 to about 08 or 09. Yeah. Well, no, um, a little quicker than that actually. Um, so so I my first full time project out of school was was the first Flipside EP. That was my first project okay. that, that I did. 
started in January of 05. That was that was my first full-time project that I did like as a professional, quote-unquote. And those yeah. were the members of, yeah. most and, of the members of FTS came. Kids later, yeah. And so that was my first project. And so um, from 2005 um, until, until, let's see, probably the, the, the summer of 2006, because I, I mean, you got to remember, from a 2003, I had been working with local bands, like, already. And, and okay. so um, we were doing flat rates, which, which nobody in the area was doing. If you wanted to make a demo back in 2003 around here, you would need to go to, like, Fort Worth Sound and pay 75 bucks an hour to do it. And, like, um, that's great. Fort Worth Sound's an awesome yeah, yeah. place, you know, and super, super worth it, you know. But having something that's worth the money doesn't necessarily mean you have the money. <laughs> and that's so, a good um, way to put it. <laughs> and so there was this entire void that we needed to, um, we basically um, stepped in and, and uh, created a product for that wasn't there. There were these bands who wanted to make good recordings but didn't have the money to do it. They um, had the drive to like do it right and um, had the talent, had all of that but just didn't have the money or um, um, they didn't have the ability to produce a professional recording like by the hour. You know what I mean? I, that's kind I of like a, totally, yeah. that's a professional setup. It, um, somebody who's been playing, you know, you know, bass or guitar for, for 20 years, you, you know, they can walk into a studio, play something awesome, super quick, get out. And that's great. But a kid who's just starting that like just the idea that like you're burning through money like every second that you're there like that's a really hard thing for a kid to get over yeah. and, and they can't and so so you're setting it you immediately set them up to fail with that model and so we decided we're like screw it we just want to make music so do they they don't want to sit here and spend you know two months on one song neither do we so, so we decided to just hey why don't you just why don't you just pay us a hundred bucks and we'll do a song and then we'll just take as much time as we need right. and and 19 times out of 20, it was like, they just wanted to get done just as much as we did. And that took so much pressure off of like everybody because we were all free to just create and like do our thing. And so that was, that's why we were so busy. That's why I had the two months, you know, coming up. And, and so that's awesome. by the time I was out of school, like, I, I mean, every, every Dallas band would at least give us a call. You know really? what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, all the up and coming ones, not the... The more established ones who could do all that stuff, they didn't really pay as much right, attention. Yeah. But like bands like the Flip Side and and bands like the February Heartache, who would eventually you know you know become these giants. Yeah. You know, they they were banging down our door. They're like, this sounds great. And um, uh, going back to your original question, in in uh, two thousand six, I kind of split off from my partner because I decided that I kind of wanted to do this like um, more on my own. He was getting busy with other stuff, so I I basically bought him out and and moved all of that crap to my house and and set up my home studio and um that's where things really got you know, you know super serious because i was um i went from making half the money to making all the money i was able to kind of invest a little more time um and a little more money just into doing it right and well, not that we weren't doing it right but just getting better you know yeah, what i mean yeah. and so um in in 2006 uh just another band who would give us a call, um, um, who's up and coming, uh, a band called uh, A Place Between Stars with um, um, this guy named Kellen, who's a super just genius, you know, guy. 
came in and we did six songs at my house, I think, for maybe like seven hundred something dollars and that that became Memphis Mayfire. That was the first Oh wow. That was the first Memphis Mayfire EP. We did it at my house. And that was that was the first national national record that I ever did. Um they did that themselves and it, it um it got picked up by Treskill. They changed the name first to Oh Captain, My Captain. That didn't stick. Okay, I never knew that was the same. I remember and that. Then, and then they said Memphis Mayfire. I'm like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And yeah, then the rest is history. I mean, the band is like, you know, they were at one time, you know, one of, one of the, you know, top, you know, five biggest metal bands on the planet. And so um, it was just these up-and-comers that, that needed a place. And that was a, I, I love the stunt. That was like a, a low-key stunt <laughs> right there. And we're, we're all about this, so... <laughs> Shout out to that. Yeah. They are what they were at one time one of the top five metal bands and they came from uh Jeff Rockwell's. Well, you know, and um I I uh kept in touch with them for a while and I'm so glad that they went off and and, and did that stuff. They're one of the um Kellen is one of those guys. If you know that band, he's you know, he's the engine that drives the whole thing. He's done his own production, he's done everything, he's the brain behind it. Okay. So they were perfectly capable of going and doing that kind of thing, right. um, totally on their own. I, I was just glad to be able to give them that venue at first to kind of open things up. Yeah. I, I was I was super glad to be a part of that. But yeah, the 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 genius of it all definitely lies with them. There's no question because they came in and ripped, you know, and it was just it was obvious right away this thing so was going to work. And and then um, Ryan Bentley was a part of that project who also makes records here in Dallas now. He's a producer. Name you're familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he played guitar and then. Uh, Chase, uh, the the original vocalist, he does a couple things around here too. He was uh, he was uh, what was the name of this? Um, he was a band called the Virgin Wolves, which was yeah, awesome. yeah, it was really yeah. Cool. Um, I seen them. If... Yeah, and so that was my first real break. Um, and then after that, you know, I started getting calls from like more national people, like people who were like producer managers and stuff. And then um, um, later on that year. We have Flipside breaking up. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's let's uh, stop there, okay, sure. uh, before you get into that. Did, when you, you said right when you met Kellen and uh, Memphis Mayfire, you felt like this guy's incredible. Yeah. Did you feel the same way about Flipside? Did you, did you think, see well, the same? Um, I could say yes easily because... Um, by 2006, the flip side was, was pretty much the biggest band in Dallas. So it was like, you know. It's like, so it's yeah, easy for Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, um, back in 2005 when I met them, you know, I mean, I'm so green at this point. I'm just lucky to have people to pay my bills. I, 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 I mean, I'm not even thinking about, you know, what am I dealing with? Because I don't have any frame of reference. I am, I'm in the same place as these people. That's you know? an interesting point right there. I'm too. coming up with all of this stuff, and I'm watching it happen. So, so um my year wasn't developed enough to say anybody was like you know, you know, going to be awesome in 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 two thousand five. But I mean, time two thousand six rolled around. I've been doing recording for three years. You could tell who was going to stand out and not. Yeah. And so Memphis, well, they immediately came in and like their sounds were awesome. They were all on point. The, the energy was ridiculous. And then by that time, the flip side was the biggest band out. So obviously they were doing something good. You, you yeah. Know, I mean, they had done Warp Tour, you know, and they had you know. They had been fielding some calls from labels and things like that, and, and so, yeah, so that's how that goes. All right, and then I guess pick back up right after uh, the next big thing after Memphis Mayfire was Flipside yeah, so breaking up. The Flipside plays there. 
plays their CD release show for their second CD that I did. Um, they play it on my one-year anniversary, August 13, 2006. And it's at the door in Dallas. May have been the first time I ever met you. Really? May, may have been the very awesome. first time. Because the cool. anniversary really sticks out. Yeah. 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 It was my first wedding anniversary. It was, and we were already in Dallas, and we we're like, ah, let's go. And yeah. so um, it was, it was, um, it was the flip side. It was Keeping Lions. It was, um, God, who else was on that thing? A bunch of really good local bands. But it, well, I mean, it's the door, the old door, not the door now. Like the old, the old door. It was like, it was opened up. It was, it was packed. I mean, yeah. and this was a local thing. And, and it was, I mean, it was a party. It was a great show. And so um, it's like, yeah, hey, man, this thing is rolling. And so um, shortly after that, you know, I mean, I talked to um, Kyle, who's the drummer, who, who I'm still really, you know, you know, good friends with. And he, cool uh, he says, yeah, this is, yeah, it's going to be it for the flip side. And I'm just like, and I, I was the first person, I was the first person to say, like, have you lost your mind? Like, you're the biggest fan in Dallas. Like, you know, Warped Tour, like, you got some momentum going. Like, people, you know, people dig this. Like, it's it's moving. And they're just like, there's there's something that's not right about it. This is not the future. It's not it. This is cool, and we're good at it. But, like, this is not this is not where where we want to go. This is not where we see, like, music going. So they had that progressive mentality. Do you see how that's... that's Blew me away. Because I did not see eye to eye with them. I was the wow. first person to say, you're crazy. Yeah, that's got me speechless because usually a group of kids who have the hottest band in a city, they're not going to say, let's break this up to pursue what's the future. And that is exactly what they did. That's crazy. I never knew that. Yeah, it's not something they really ever talked about a lot, but I mean, because, I mean, um, but they, they were like that. They were just fearless. Like they, they did not, they did not care that they were blowing this thing up. They really just felt like that. If they were going to make it, it was going to be doing something else, and so that kind of led to the the formation of that. They brought in two other guys who were they were friends with the DBU who were who were equally as awesome, you know, you know um, Austin and Caleb, oh, who were just you know they were playing shows as committed. Um, this is a fan question, and sure. I guys have the coffee shop song. Yeah, was that right. from their prior? Yeah, it was uh, okay. I had heard um, that. Committed. That was their acoustic committed. duo. Right. And um, they actually won a battle of the bands, like in Garland that I judged one time. They were they were head and shoulders above everybody else there, and it was so obvious. But I mean, they were probably fifteen or sixteen at the time. I can't remember what it was, but they were like they were they so talented. much better than everybody else at that battle of the bands. And, and like I had clients who were playing the show and everything, and I was like, Pfft. like these guys, they I mean, they, they were just the two of them with two acoustic guitars, like absolutely wiped everybody off the stage, and it was like. It wasn't even close, and so then um, they kept doing that. They became um, they changed the name to um, a project called Ben Bradley, and 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 um, that's what that's where the Coffee Break song came from. That was a Ben Bradley tune, and there were a couple of other random Ben Bradley tunes that were like starters but never really finished. That actually became Brothers Against Kids songs. Oh wow! That's and so, um, but yeah, those two didn't mean to interrupt. You, no, no, it's cool. Those two guys joining into the uh, joining into the flip side. That's that's what started for the Sickest Kids, and it was it was um, yeah, that was that was the beginning of it. The um, funny thing about Forever the Sickest Kids was um, it was the name of the band's demo site. 
on MySpace um, because um, we needed a way to share, um, share flip side demos <laughs> with each other. And so they started a fake band on MySpace and, and um, didn't promote it at all, right. whatever. But um, that's where they uploaded their demos and stuff to. And they uploaded like joke songs like Cats Meowing and stuff like that onto the Forever the Sickest Kids MySpace page just as a joke band that didn't really exist. And, and they were like, eh, screw it. This is going to be... <laughs> That's awesome. This is going to be the new name of the band, so... That's crazy. Pretty funny. Yeah, man. So they make the call to you. Okay, so yeah. the story about them accidentally buying the ad. Yeah. That's true. All, 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 all of that is true. Okay, it's, I thought it was a great, great it's story. It's true more. It's true more. And so, um, um, there's actually a little bit more to it. Okay, so they, um, they paid me back in 06 to do an acoustic, like, EP, um, kind of an acoustic flip side thing. And then Flipside breaks up, right? And so they're just like, you know, well, we lost that, you know, because, I mean, um, never even really started it. And um, so I knew they were starting this new thing up, but, I mean, it was, it was going to be a while off because they had just started, you know, they had just started jamming together. And so Jonathan calls me and is like, hey, we, you know, we just got, um, we just accidentally bought a front page, <laughs> front page from, promo spot on 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 pure volume and uh, we don't have any we don't have any music <laughs> and we have this new band but 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 it's going up whether we have music or not so we need your help and so I was like you have to be kidding me and they absolutely had nothing at, um, Such at a the great time story. And, and they were like hey um, can we use the money that we paid you for the acoustic thing will you credit us with that and record this new stuff for us. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I and guess so. That's, <laughs> so I did. Um, that's so I was like, ah, you know, you know, it's cool. And so we, um, we went, I went to, well, Kyle and Mark live together. Um, they're stepbrothers. They live in North Richard Hills together. And so I come there and they're all, they're all soon. I just had a table and I'm like, this is like the new group. And I'm like, all right, well, what do we got? You know, cause, um, we would always go over like demos and things like that, and then we worked through parts that weren't good or whatever. And so I would just come up and jam with them. And they had one, like, they basically had one thing. <laughs> and so we went to this jam room, and and they had this little um, Alesis micro synth. It was uh, they had, probably had it until 2012 when it eventually died, but it was it, it, it was a little. Um, Red Alesis Microsim, and they had a, a little riff programmed into there to one key, dun, 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 uh, and it was the Hey Britney riff, and then like that was so that was kind of what they had, and it, and they started doing doing this jam thing, and um, the <clears throat> little jam riff was actually based off of a Josephine Collective song. Remember the Josephine? Joseph, I do. Yeah. Yes. Um. um, <laughs> um a song called um, "We Kill the American Dream," which is a great, which is a great song, but it has this dun 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 like part to it. And Kyle was like, "We need to do something like that." And then so they put that little dun 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 over that little synth riff, you know, and and then they started busting out lyrics, and the three of them started singing at different times, and it was like it was chaos, but it was magic, you know. Yeah. It was it was instantly really cool. It was like. We don't even care. It was just so cool. That's the creation of a new sound. Yeah. Like that that's that's what I kinda always wanted to ask you. Is did y'all did y'all mean to 
essentially create a new sound, which no. think about, and I know <laughs> I'm, I fan out over this, but just to be here talking to you, but like in my, I'm going to, when I lay on my deathbed, I'm going to say, oh, these people came up with sounds. Sure. You're in that. Like you created, you well, guys created a sound and y'all created a scene and other bands, so many other bands followed and so many other kids we'll get into later, the, the Tanner Patricks from their first initial I want to be a musician is because what you guys were making. You know, they were such fans of that, and that captivated so many people. Yeah, um, we certainly didn't know at the time, um, definitely not a Hey Brittany, because it was such a rush to get it done. Um, the only thing we had on our minds at the time was, we need to get this up on, uh, online, okay. or they're going to waste all that money for the promo. So you like, couldn't that's the only thing it. we were thinking. Yeah, that's the only thing we were thinking about. And so... Um, um, they left me alone with it a little bit. I, I added some piano. We added some lead guitar stuff. We, we cut some things, added some things. We, we did it at my house just with, you, you know, um, same equipment that I had, you know, since, you know, since uh, 03. Back when I moved down here to start the studio, pretty much all the same stuff plus a couple of different things. But, uh, I mean, I recorded my – I had to record the drums into my, like, Roland VS system. I um, – and I had to export them on CD to a Pro Tools system because my Pro Tools interface only had only had two channels at the time, and I only used Pro Tools for like for like three months. Oh, really? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the Memphis May Fire project was one of my first Pro Tools projects ever, and so um, that's insane. Um, but I didn't have enough to do the drums, so I had to record the drums on this like Roland unit. Then I had to export them on CD track by track into Pro Tools, and, and then do the rest there. And we were using a free version of Reason. Okay. We, I mean, it, yeah. it was seriously, it, it, it came with the keyboard that you bought. You know what I mean? It was the free version of it. And so um, the little drum patch that's in there, that do, is like, seriously, it is the freest, most stock thing that comes out. It's, it's like Reason Kit 03. It's right there. It's free. You know what I mean? And that's just what we had at our disposal. But um, we didn't know that we were creating something new, but, um, but I think that, Later on, um, we kind of all realized that, hey, like we kind of were at the edge of this thing. And um, there were bands like White Tie Affair um, um, at the time who were doing things like that, too. Oh, so we were right on the edge of... Um, I forgot about that. We were right on the edge of it, but I, I, I think they were certainly the biggest ones. You know, and they were kind of the first big MySpace band of that genre. You know? Just talk about the Million Dollar Deal, supposedly. Is that... Uh, what, what, I know that was spread throughout all the guys making bands and through the scene like crazy. And all we yeah. heard was Forever Sick of Skids got a million dollars. Well, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> um, there, like most things, there's, there's some truth to it and there's some, you know, not truth to it. it, it um, the answer lies in the middle. Uh, um, and so, um, in, in 07, in April, we decided to do a deal with, with uh, um, Universal Music Group after showcasing for every major label, every major indie, every everybody. Is it Sylvia Rohn? Uh, Sylvia Rohn, yes, was the head of Motown at the time, who is a big, who is a big fan of theirs. Really? Is, I mean, she, I mean, Sylvia Rohn's a legend. She's... You know, and she is, she was, she was a huge Forever the Sickest Kids fan, like really one of them. And, and they're, um... The A&R guy, Shep Goodman, who's an incredible guy, who still does a lot of awesome stuff, um, he, he had their full backing. He was like, go get these guys. And so he had, you, you know, um, he had the full force of it. And so um, um, now 
The idea of, okay, yes, there's a million dollars in a bag waiting for further sickest kids. No, that is not true. Um, that, that sounds great. And that's very sexy. But no, um, that, that's not really how it works. Um, but um, how that number gets tossed around is um, by the time you talk about um, an actual in-pocket advance for the band, that's actual cash money. Um, and then um, money for production. Which a major label production budget, everybody charges their highest rate. Nobody gives you a break. No. So your budget needs to be, you know, pretty high. Music video budget, same deal. Nobody gives you a break. You, you know, I mean, you hear Universal Music is calling. Like, nobody goes, oh, I'm going to give them a deal. Like, never happens. So like, you price. always charge, like, your, whatever you can basically get. There's, you know, you know and so, um, and so um, album costs are like that. Um, Video production costs like that, marketing costs, radio. I mean, to run a radio campaign um, back then, I mean, you're looking at like you're you're looking at like eighty thousand dollars to work a single, yeah. to just regular you, you know um, regular reporting sessions. That's um, that's just to work it, just to work the phones to get all. The, that's not even including like like a serious like you know huge huge push you know, and so. When you add all of that up, you know, um, you know, you get to a million pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You got distribution costs and things like that. So, by the time it was over, I am, I'm pretty certain that um, they would have put, they would have put a million dollars into that first record cost wise. They would have put it into it, okay. not in the band's pocket, but like right. that, that whole process from everything from the actual money that the band did get for an advance through production, through marketing, through all that stuff. I'm sure they probably put that much into it there's no doubt and uh the funny funny side note is i was working at i, I was working at lids and uh statue of limitations are up but uh <laughs> jonathan liked hats a lot sure so he'd come see me and when he was getting ready for tour you know he he came and see me a lot and so i go i take my daughter and she might have been not even a year I wake her up, put her in, we go to Target across the street. We live by Hewland Mall. So we go to the Target that's next to the Babies R Us yep. on this side street. And I buy the album. And just wasting time, I started reading the credits. And he had put me in the credits. Justin <laughs> from Lids. And I said, this is, that was insane to me. I don't yeah. think I've ever even and thought about that. Since, but that, I remember yeah. experiencing the first album. His 5950 collection, by the time, by like the time 20, you know, by the time like 2012 rolls around, 2011, 2012 rolls around, his 5950 collection. Um, it was obsessive, like almost. He wanted every. He was obsessed with it. Every new one that came in, he wanted it. It was really. It was very um His mom would come with him. Yeah, sure. And some people collect Jordan, some people collect all kinds of stuff. He was that way with 5950. He just loved it. He would you buy know? the hat. You remember the hat cases? Oh, yeah. He, had, he was the only person I sold hat cases well, to. Well, you had to have it for the bus, because like, the, the bus, bus is a completely. Trash environment. Makes so these much little, sense. these little pieces of tape on my my charger right here, are so that I know which yeah. one is which. This is the, the green is one tour, the pink is a completely different tour. I'm just That's like, funny. so you kind of have to watch out for your own stuff, or is it And just like that, we came to the end of part one of episode one. In episode two, we spend our time tracing the history of Disco Curtis and Tanner Patrick. We learn about the name changes early rehearsals, and the signing with Jimmy Iovine and Interscope Records. We also learn about Tanner's first date driving and why the relationship between the band and Jeff ended. This is something you don't want to miss. 
so stay tuned and remember this is off for real podcast this has been rogue media network podcast